You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I'm talking to Mark Steele, a brilliant political comedian and uh, and not just a political one, um, but an excellent comedian who was there at the beginning in the 80s, the birth of alternative comedy. Uh, he was there and has been working hard ever since. Uh, he did a fabulous show at Edinburgh this year about a, a genuinely startling uh, discovery in his own family tree. Um, and he's also won columnist of the year last year, 2015. So he has got absolutely bundles to say. I'm going to let him say it. Recorded live at uh, Black Medicine in Edinburgh as part of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival last year under the auspices of the PBH Free Fringe. This is Mr. Mark Steele. <laughs> Thank you. Now we've got to try this, haven't we? What was that? This we were just the, the peculiar mic. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. you're doing fine. Okay. Good. Is that all right? Is that stool it's, all right? I've not. Yeah. Heard. Yeah. The stool's right, and this is right. I think. Ladies it's, and gentlemen, it's dear dear four hundred and six in the Edinburgh Festival. <laughs> yeah. And some of the performers have started to eat members of the audience. <laughs> How are you in these final days? Are you are you coping? Oh, you no, no one's coping. I'm mean, given that comics are mental to start with. That it's then it, it's really quite deranged and peculiar, and it's sort of um and it's quite odd to just sort of wander up the. It's like a dream where you're all in some like all the comics live in some great big comedy house, <laughs> and you sort of wander up the road and say, "Oh, there's Stuart Lee," and it's like a sort of you know dream when you think, "Oh, I suspect." Joe Pasquale is doing the washing up at the moment. It's, 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 particularly, it's particularly noticeable in the children's play park on the meadows where any comedian who has young children, which is a oh, lot right, of comedians, right, like a yeah, slice, yeah, it takes course, like a yeah. slice of the data at any given yeah. time. Where comics are trying to avoid each other. And it's just because my flat is beautifully close to here and to what all stuff's going on there. And there was an odd thing today where I was writing my newspaper column for tomorrow then I had to take a break from that to pop out over the... Well, I'm not complaining about this at all. I'm just saying it's, this is just odd. I had to pop out from that to go about 100 yards across the way to do a show with Freddie Flintoff. <laughs> I saw this on your Twitter feed. And, on. Uh, and then I saw Freddie Flintoff, which, I, uh, you know, as a sports fanatic, that is just sort of... Uh, I could hardly contain myself. And then come back... 
his daughter's in there. Was it all right, Freddie Flintoff? Yeah, uh, just like an odd dream. That is a very odd thing to do. I'm just popping out to do a show with Freddie Flintoff. I'll be back. And it's like that every night. Normally, you do a show, you drive off somewhere, and you go, I'll see you tomorrow to the family, whatever. But I can pop out... I can put a pie in the oven, go out, do my show, come back, and it's just about ready. It's really, it's very, very peculiar. Are you, you've not been to the Fringe for a while? Well, I haven't done the whole three, four weeks, whatever it is. No, but um, I've I, I usually come up here for some reason. Yeah, there's usually okay. some, some reason. And this show for you this year is quite different to <clears throat> the output for which people think of you. I, I, you're most widely thought of as a political comic. In a, in a yeah, certain... but that gets on me nerves because it's because uh, <laughs> uh, uh, that's not true. But um, there's nothing you do about it, I suppose. Well, you've just won Columnist of the Year 2015 for yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a funny political column. Yeah, is it reasonable mind... to call you a political comic? Um, well, I, I, I think. Well, first of all, I think both on the both words put together are wrong because. Uh, Every comic is political. They might not know it, just as every person is political. The person that says, oh, I haven't got a political thought, is still political, because they, they still might go, oh, the bloody immigrants coming over here, how many more of them would we have? Bloody need to send them back. They'll have those thoughts that are very political, or they might think, bloody bangers, it's a disgrace. You know, they haven't got any money for the local school. My kids had to go without his notebooks. But they, so, which are, of course are political thoughts. So I think the political bit of that is wrong. But also the comic bit, I, you know, most of my... Most of the stuff I do re- re- depends on doing a stupid voice or something. <laughs> and I just I think, I don't, I like, I don't know, I, I just enjoy the whole thing of doing a show just like any other comic. I don't think I'm really very different from, I think it would just sort of, if someone thinks, oh, he's a political comic, they're going to be disappointed if they come along and think, oh, well, that's strange. I was hoping to get his sort of take on the Liberal Democrat policy on agriculture. That's, uh, but but is anyone that doing me. that? Are any comics that political? Because I feel like you are one of the most political comics in a very small group of, of comics. Yeah, but I think could... all that... See, Frankie Boyle is intensely political because all his stuff is, is born of a, of a, of a rage... You know, much more than me. He's he's got a rage inside him, which is brilliant. I think he's brilliant, and I think that that loads of you know, so someone like that, you would would he wouldn't be called a political comic, but but he is, and then he's he's in a fury, isn't he? About absolutely all manner of things, and sometimes that his fury takes him to all sorts of peculiar places. Like he's so angry about everything, he just goes, "I'm going to say the most shocking thing that I possibly can." There you are, up your ass, the Pope, fuck you up, the fucking whatnot, and you know, <laughs> there you are. he's a little bit he's a little bit more adept at it. Than yeah. I and, uh, <laughs> But he's, but he's... Even Frank, up your ass, you fucking whatnot, shit, pulp, fucking nun. That, <laughs> <laughs> Frankie Ball had a really, really unproductive day. Uh, but, uh, so, but then even if you sort of get down... I don't know, I'm trying to think of the comics I've, I've seen. Obviously, you know, someone like Mark Thomas, he's doing a show that I saw there, which is brilliant, as his shows always are, and it's about the way that land is now sold. So all the sort of land that you think of as being, oh, that's land that we all own, now you suddenly find it isn't. The bank has bought it or whatever. And he makes that brilliantly funny and he does his daft little protests outside it and stuff and it, it's marvellous. So that, you go, all right, yeah, that's political. But then there's lots of, um, there's loads and loads of, of people that you would, I'm in, trying to think of an example of, now. But. In terms of comics that would be invited to speak at a rally, 
Oh, right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm still, I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry, I feel like I've tried to convince you that you're political yeah, okay, when you clearly yeah. said you don't think you are. Or, or a, a political comic. Well, a, a political comic. comic which yeah. other comics do you bump into when you're speaking at rallies? Well, Shappy, see, she speaks at rallies and she gets all sort of nervous and goes, oh, I don't really understand it. But in a way, that's the sort of product of this idea that, that politics is something that you have to be, you have to almost have a, an education in to, to, to be genuinely political. And, uh, you know, I saw Shappy speak to, I don't know, 100,000 people and it was just like, I'm sick of this, this can't be right. And Jeremy Corbyn's here, and he's a good bloke. Why are they having a go at him? And it was brilliant, because it just articulated probably what so many people that have created the sort of little movement around Jeremy Corbyn, she, she articulated that, mm. and then did it with a three-year-old kid on the stage with her as well, which is a great comics trick to win over the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to have a go at you then? But, you know, I think Shappy's brilliantly political. You wouldn't think of her as, as so. I, I think what you've isolated there is that, that sense, that idea that people, that comics, a lot of comics, feel like they can't be political because they don't necessarily have the yeah. research. They yeah. haven't done the reading. And for someone like you who can appear on Question Time and hold your own against politicians who are very well practised at arguing on telly, that, yeah, to me, that I still, look at something like that and I think, well, I don't have the argumentative skills and I haven't done the reading. No, but I think that. I mean, I'm sat there and then I, I've done question time a few times and you're sat there with, who was I with? David Willits, is that his name? David Willits, right? Twice I've been on it with him. He's conservative something for something. And, uh, <laughs> and oh, and Liz Kendall. Liz Kendall, she was, was on it last time I was uh, on Question Time. So there was, and, oh, someone else, some liberal who's probably lost his seat. So <laughs> we were all sort of sat there. And then it sort of drones on into that official political ease, you know. So uh, someone starts talking about, I don't know, the latest bill to reduce something by something. And they make it so dull and uninteresting and completely apart from normal people's lives and 2% of the GDP on this or that and that. And I drift off just like everybody else does. And then Dimbleby goes, Mark Still, what are your thoughts on this? And my instinct is to go, I don't fucking know. (laughs) (laughs) Ask him, he's in the bloody cabinet. But you sort of... You know, you have to try and get get over that somehow, and sort of, and then remember that if you just the simple things are the right things. You know, I don't know exactly what figures you're making up here, but I do know that the banks crashed. That wasn't the fault of the people who were being asked to pay for that banking crash. The swimming pool in the local area shut down. As far as I'm aware, I'm not an economist, the banking crash was not caused by people swimming too much uh, in the local swimming pool, the dirty bastards bloody bringing down the, the, the currency rates with their fucking aggressive butterfly. So <laughs> those, <laughs> why are those people having to pay? And you know that the people who did cause it, their bonuses have gone up. They can't even bring themselves to say sorry. That that's that's it. And then if you've got that, then you just know this is bullshit. You know these other people are talking. You're you're a Tory. You're defending it. You're talking bullshit. You're equivocating about it. If you said to him that's wrong, then you would get a round of applause and people might vote for you instead of just going. I know it is a bit awful, and we might think about doing something like that. And Liz Kendall was on this program. Was on Question Time, and. She hardly said a thing. 
she sort of sat there and just said uh, nothing really. Uh, uh, the following week, loads of people said, "Oh, what was that? who was that woman who was on?" No one could remember her. The next time, but then we they give you a car in question time, and you go back in the car, and it was Newcastle. So you think, "Well, this is a little perk. You don't really get paid for it, but you get." Oh, a nice little car, drive all the way back from Newcastle to London, and Liz Kendall's South London, like me. And she said, here, should we get a bottle of wine for the car back? And I thought, yeah, it's all right. And we got a bottle of wine, stopped at a little shop there, a little corner shop, and it was, she was a, quite a laugh. Not a political thought in her head about anything particular. <laughs> I sort of asked her a couple of times, and she sort of, she all, she, a couple of times, she sort of went, oh, God, you and your bloody politics, you know. Well, well I should, as if I'm going to know about that, all I am is an MP. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought, and she, was, and she was going out living with, I believe, Greg Davis, the, okay. the uh, comic. Yes. Um, very funny actor, you know, in between us and all that. And I, I thought, oh, you're quite a nice woman, a bit hopeless. Next thing I know, she's standing to be the Labour leader. And I thought, what? <laughs> what are you doing that for? No, no, you haven't got a clue. And then um, I don't suppose I'll be travelling in a car with her again now because I'd read she Sometimes they write the column for you. At the start of all this, she was asked, I swear this was the exact words, the interviewer, Andrew Neil, I believe, said, uh, are you going to oppose the Conservatives um, the, in the budget, the Conservative plan to cut welfare and she said I think the economy is really important (laughs) 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 so it really struck a chord with me because most people go around going the economy don't give a shit And uh, <laughs> that was a that was her answer, and she kept coming out with things. She hasn't got a clue. I feel quite sorry for her. Really, do, do you do you think? Well, there's, there's two things there. I, w- I want to ask about the. I was planning to ask about the the sort of the post show, the kind of the green room atmosphere after doing something like Question Time. I mean, you sort of told us there in terms of that one person, but is it a case where the politicians are professionally argumentative? And then they go backstage and they're like, oh, how was that? You know, and they're much more chatty. And if they are, how do you fit into that? Well, I'd like to answer that by making these two points. (laughs) We'll come on to that type of answer next. I'm very glad you answered the question, but I am not going to be drawn at this stage on the precise nature of the post Question time green room chat. That is something that you'll have to ask Mr. Miliband. The. uh, I the the sort of the time that I did question time that was most uh, well that was most tricky really I happened to be I just happened to be on uh, it was in two thousand and three and it happened to be there was no way anyone could have planned this the day when the Americans arrived in Baghdad and pulled the statue of Saddam over that very night I, there was question time was on and I was uh, on that. And that was pretty much the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever done because I did think, God, this is there's millions of people going to be watching this and it's all going to be charged. It's not like a sort of week where it's just about some court case or other. And I thought, Jesus, what am I going to do? And I thought, anyone who's been against the war is going to be right. I'm, I'm their, per- you know, it's a bit like being a footballer or something. I'm for them, you know, tonight. And um, and so I was just concentrated. I was just sort of going. To th- I thought, right, think through about three little sort of. 40 second things and just say that right that get that to start with and then respond to what other people are saying so I was just sort of running through what does just like you would with a gig really you know you sort of think right just you know if you're doing a new bit right remember what I'm going to say here and David Willits is the first time I met him he was sat just here Tory 
uh, obviously not in the government at the time. And he leant across and said, uh, you're a little bit nervous, don't you be nervous, don't worry. I said, no, I'm all right. He said, oh, no, don't you worry about it. He said, once, once it gets started, it'll just fly by. You just get stuck in and it'll just steam on by. You'll be gone before you know it. And I thought, well, thank you for the bloody tip, you know. <laughs> so um, then it all starts. And, of course, it goes wild and it's charged because this bloody statue's only come down two hours before. It's been on the news all night. It's all anyone's talking about. And this great big round. There's a guy called Mike O'Brien, I remember. He was home office. I don't know what he was. But he was in the cabinet. He'd been Labour cabinet and he'd been one of the people who'd been supporting the war, justifying it. And I, I remember at one point, what was it? He said, at one point, I thought, oh, yeah, I've got you there. Because he said, uh, um, I think that, uh, I think one of the reasons that um, that Saddam, that Saddam hasn't behaved in a, a worse way is because of the, the sanctions that we were putting on, putting on them, something of that nature. And I said, really? I said, what, you thought, so he was, you think Saddam was saying, oh, well, we'd, uh, uh, Oh, and that, do you know what? I've cut that bit. I've fucked this up. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'll give you some money. Don't ever. I've fucked this up. That's terrible. No, a comic fucking making a joke. That'd be terrible. That'd be terrible. No, that's like, oh, an Englishman and a squ- I forgot about the parrot. No, it's like, <laughs> I, I forgot to tell you there was a parrot and the, uh, the nun, the nun. Oh, the, like, anyway, whatever it was, it all sort of got quite outrageous. And then this. Um, this David Willett, I was having a go at the Labour bloke, obviously, you know, saying that we were um, saying what a marvellous it, thing it was that they uh, attacked Saddam and so on. And these people had been, they'd all been trading with him. And David Willett sat next to me and he was sniggering. Yes, yes, he said, yes, when I was having a go. And I thought, you bar, I said, you lot sold him the bloody weapons. And what right have you got to sit there sniggering? And he went bright red. And I did, I thought, you little fuckers. So, <laughs> fucking sniggering, you sold Saddam these bloody weapons. He's outrageous, these politicians. So it was all quite fiery. And at the end of it, I thought, oh, well, there'll be no more bonhomie from Mr Willits. And as the bloke comes around to unclip me radio mic, as he was doing it, this bloke Willits leant over and he said, see, I told you you'd get jolly well stuck in. I bet that's marvellous now. You did ever so well. I said, what? I said, I've just called you a bloody outrageous Tory bloody arms dealer in front of millions of people. I swear his exact words. He said, yes, that's the spirit. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Now... I got up and the pair of us sort of walked off and he said, well, I think we jolly well deserve a drink after all that hard work. So I said, well, yeah. And we went into this back room, just me and him there. And he said, oh, marvellous. And there was this sort of one of those things you have at a barbecue, you know, one of those things with the, that keeps all the beer cold, you know, loads of bottles of beer in there, bottles of Becks and things. And I said, well, all right, here you are. <laughs> and I got mine. And I couldn't find a bottle opener. And I was looking around for a bottle opener and he, David Willits, he just sort of conservative shadow cabinet David Willits, looked like the most boring person ever. He did that thing where he just went up to the corner like that and went, Kish! and knocked his <laughs> thing up. And I was sort of going, eh, with me teeth, I can't, couldn't do it at all. He said, oh, give it here, mugging about, there we go, boom, there you go. Get that down, yeah. And I, I, I did actually say to him, look, mate, don't ever let this get out, that... Because if it if it gets out that I've had to rely on a conservative shadow cabinet member to open me bottle of beer, I'm fucked. <laughs> and I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, I can see the problem. Yeah, do, does that does that make you despair somehow that they just <laughs> regard it as a game? I, yeah, yeah, of course. But I don't think 
In a way, that's why you have to sort of avoid it, isn't it? I think if you did that all the time, once is fine. If you did that all the time, you'd get to know his neighbour's name. You'd get to know his kid's birthday. And then you're, you're stuffed, you know. You can't lay into him as much as you no, want you because you know Because you think, oh, yeah, I know him and he's all right, yeah. You would. <laughs> So this is Mark. I I will try, as I always do, to keep this interruption as quick as possible because I remember this conversation as being absolutely fascinating. Mark is so warm and wise and just has the ability to turn anger into comedy, to turn genuine sort of political thought, genuine awareness, to, to actually do the reading, understand what's going on in the world, take a position on it, and and then, crucially, to make it really funny. So we'll get straight back to Mark in a second. Um, I, of course, am going to advertise my tour to you. Now that the Izzy Sutty show is done and dusted, thank you very much to everyone that came to that. Uh, there are, of course, uh, Romesh Ranganathan and Dave Gorman coming up soon at Soho. But for now, let's focus on the tour. Thank you to all of you who've been in touch about being members of the Cavalry for me. Remember, you can join in that as well if you're coming to any of my touring venues. Uh, sorry, if you live in any of the towns to which I'm touring, then you can email me, info at comedianscomedian.com with cavalry in the subject line. I'm just going to briefly keep banging on about this because it seems to be working. Someone, a lovely lady called Tracy, has taken upon it uh, taken it upon herself to sell out my Milton Keynes gig. So uh, I'm sending her 10 posters. She's going to put them up in her place of work. And uh, I God, God only knows where she works, where, where she thinks she can uh, get stuck into this. But if you are in any of the fascinating places I'm coming to, I don't have them in front of me. I'm tempted to see if I can do them all from memory, but I, that will almost certainly end in disaster. Shall I try? Here we go. Genuinely without looking. Definitely Nottingham, Manchester, Birmingham, Bristol, South End, definitely Sutton. That's at the very end. These are not in order, by the way. There's the Soho Theatre, of course. So maybe you live in some crazy Soho advertising tube uh, and you'd like to uh, <laughs> to get your, uh, your co-workers to come along. Um, I'm also going to be in Milton Keynes in Wolverhampton. I'm going to be in Kingston. The show will also go to, I've said Manchester, haven't I? This, that was such a, it was such a good start. Um, Winchester? Is it? I don't know. I don't think I'm going to Winchester. Am I going to Windsor? I'm definitely going to Aldershot. I'm definitely going to, this is pointless, isn't it? I should have it in front of me. Shall I go and get it in the kitchen? No, I'll press on. Come on, Goldsmith, you can do it. Hemel Hempstead, definitely going there. Um, Birmingham, I must have already said. Uh, (laughs) Am I starting to go through the alphabet now? You do not... I mean, this is absolutely quintessential Goldsmith, isn't it? I think three minutes ago I said I'll keep this as brief as possible. I could literally just read out a list of them in front of me, but no, I choose instead to waste everybody's time with this absolute bullshit. I'm so sorry. If you're in one of those places and more besides, I mean, you can get all of them, as you know, from comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour underscore 2016. Um, You can get all the info there. And if you're in one of those towns, email me with the subject line cavalry. Send me your postal address. I'll chuck you some posters and you can convince your fabulous friends to come with you as well. Thank you to everyone who has uh, clicked like or the new the new Facebook event button. 
interested, which is nice because it means you're not hurting my feelings so much. You can go click. I'll click on this. Yeah, this event seems good. I want other people to know about it without committing yourself to going. And uh, we all remember the days of uh, Facebook events when they first started and 20 or 30 people would click going and then no one would turn up and they go, oh, not going not in real life. No, I'm just sort of going to this. I've done it myself as well. So now now we have this slightly suspicious interested button. But I believe if you click on that on any of the uh, the Facebook uh, events for my tour, the show is called An Hour, then, um, then presumably it shows up in your feed. Does it? I don't know. And I think they change the rules all the time. Well, anyway, that's the marketing stuff done. Come and see the show on tour. And of course, if you hang around at the end of the show, you get to do the secret thing, which in this context refers specifically to hanging around after the final track is played at the end of the show. And we'll do a quick five or ten minutes or as long as we can before we get kicked out of the venue. Uh, we'll do a little off the record Q&A. You can ask me anything you like about the podcast. So, um, that will be a lot of fun. I've got a crazy plan in the offing for a for an, a, a different sort of a live comedian's comedian show, a sort of an off the record extravaganza with maybe a couple of guests, maybe in a late night boozy kind of a way. Don't have a title for it yet. If you can think of one, feel free to suggest one. Tweet me at ComComPod or email me or uh, however you like to get in touch with me. Just write it in chalk on my back without me noticing. That would be fab too. Um, that's all. That's the tour. Thanks for the donations. Keep them coming, of course. Um, I really appreciate them. A couple of people have uh, set up some monthly subscriptions. That's very kind of them. And we've had a couple of one-off donations last week as well. Those are very, very much appreciated. I am still working hard to make this show as interesting and and far-ranging as possible. Um, I have got a bunch of, I think what I've got, so seven or eight episodes in the can right now to eke out over the course of my impending uh, transition to fatherhood. Uh, so I'm, I'm working hard. I'm working hard for you. And if you would like to reward me for that, if you would like to support the show or to signify, to signal to me uh, that you're enjoying it, or that you're getting something out of it, it's making you feel more positive about this awful, awful business we call creativity, then um, can you tell I'm absolutely in the middle of... I've been trying to write my show in advance. This, is, this, this will make you laugh. We'll get straight on with it. I've been trying to write my show to get it finished for the Leicester Comedy Festival in February. Of course that's not going to happen. It's an hour and I've only been going two months. But I'm trying to. And in fact, here's a teaser. I'll tell you what's on my bit of paper at the moment that I did. I did a preview in Smoke and Mirrors in Bristol uh, on Monday. Uh, It currently says Baby Jealous Shark Nest Primal Hypno Airbnb Castro Ring Bread Data Split Sacrifice Cafe Prevail Locusts City Kid Hero Coach Stallone Balloon. So, you know, you you might be thinking, clearly, Stu, the work is done. (laughs) So uh, that's a little teaser of uh, this forthcoming show. So when I say this awful business called creativity, what I mean, of course, is that I'm absolutely in the throes of desperately trying to get the bones of the show to, to what's the expression, to break the back of uh, the creative process for this year um, before the little baby he come. So uh, I don't imagine I'm going to achieve it, but it's, uh, it feels good to have a sort of uh, a fun deadline like that. As, uh, as we, we always remember the Douglas Adams quote, I love deadlines. I love the whooshing sound they make as they go past. Now back to Mark. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Do you think that the, the way comics have to simplify uh, ideas in order to make, or the way that you might simplify a political idea, like you were saying, in order to just go, this is, you know, I might not know about the numbers, but I know that it's not the people in the swimming pool who are responsible for this. Yeah, Why yeah, should they yeah. suffer? That's kind of a simplification of the idea. Yeah, you, yeah. yeah. Do you think that's similar to the way maybe politicians are, are thinking? You know, you said those, there's like the similarity of going, right, there's three things I've got to say. And when they go, you know, with that, that, that answer that she gave earlier on saying, I think the economy is very important. Is there a parallel there between, like, in order to get... That would be a very across, bad comic, the equivalent yeah. of that, wouldn't it? <laughs> but do you see what I mean? There, there seems to be a lot of parallels in terms of getting a message across where their goal is to, whatever is to get votes, and your goal is to get laughs. But both of you necessarily have to take a far simpler path than the actual issue might demand. Um, I suppose there. I suppose it is similar. In a, it is similar in a way. They've got a much thicker skin than we have, though, haven't they? I mean, I you know, if you so. do a you do a, a show that goes badly, even not quite as well as you'd hoped, and that's awful. That is really, really awful. I mean, there's more as often as not after a show, if there's three hundred people there. The comic who's done the show is probably the most miserable person in the room, probably, you know. And everyone else goes, yeah, yeah, it's gone fine. But if it hasn't gone absolutely brilliantly fantastic and they've sort of hauled you through the street and made you king, you... uh... (laughs) Yeah, that's what I... Fucking impressed and they made me king. (laughs) (laughs) Not doing Swindon again. uh... Like like Frank Skinner says, that's the danger when you're a comic. It's either... It just becomes binary. It's either brilliant or it's shit. And you've got to work quite hard mentally. Yeah, yeah, well, I think think Frank's very astute on that, actually. I've heard him... yeah, on a number of those sorts of things, yeah. And it, it's, uh, yeah, but a politician, they get up and everyone's bored, stupid, and they must know that half the people, most of the people watching are going, what? I mean, like, how could you live with yourself if that was your performance? I think the economy is really important. <laughs> how could you live with it? If a comic, comics should be politicians. You'd go, you wouldn't. You'd go, oh, no, I went on the telly and I, my answer was, I think the economy is really important. <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad. It was. Oh, no. Oh, well, don't, for Christ's sake, don't fucking show them the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Economy is really important. One star. Uh, that was, uh... When you're when you when it comes to writing, when it comes to writing your column, when it comes to, I mean, how much crossover is there between your column and the ideas you're you're thinking about? Oh, it hardly ever works. In a column, you can sort of get away with stuff a bit. Um, but but I, quite, sometimes I've tried to do jokes from the column, and uh, I don't know because it's about performance, isn't it? I think. You can't just read a bit out. I don't think it's it's a completely it's a completely different thing. Sometimes I had a thing I was doing about 
I did have one thing, yeah, where, but even then it was, uh, it was sort of in a completely different way. Yeah, I did have a joke which was about, um, uh, you know, about the sort of uh, immigrate, about why people, why people vote for UKIP because, uh, of course, because people are terrified because they think, or every day you're told there's millions of Bulgarians, millions, a million Bulgarians can come at any point, any day, a million. So people are crapping themselves. They must be thinking, oh, one day I'll open the gate at the back. I can't get out. I can't get out. There's Bulgarians. As far as you can see, all in the garden, they're all there. And there'll be all these, but yes, we live here now. There's nothing you can do. Who's this here? This is Dimitrov. His head is stuck in cat flap. He live here now. <laughs> now, Lisbon Treaty say you must feed every day with saucer of milk. And I thought, so, but you sort of so I had this sort of that idea uh, which I did in a, a column. But you know, if you wrote it out like that, it'd just be meaningless because it'd depend on everybody having to do a silly Bulgarian accent. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. They're reading it. Yeah, you know I mean, so uh, it wouldn't. But, it, there, it really, but the idea of it, you know, the, the starting idea of it, points are the same. The starting points are the same, I suppose. It's but I think in a co- the column, it just depends on people saying mad things, like this thing with the people being. I've done one tonight. Uh, um, for tomorrow's paper, and it's all all these mad reasons. People, the, the whole idea of Labour absolutely hating the fact that three hundred thousand people have tried to join them. I find that hilarious. Yes, you... no, this is a disaster. People like us. It's your fault, Corbyn. We should go back to when everybody hated us. And you've actually been. You tried to join. Yeah, and yeah, they wouldn't yeah. let you. Yeah, they wouldn't let me. Yeah, they said I didn't share the aims and values of the Labour Party. So, you know. And is I've that. Been, I've been saying, I've, I've, what, you know, I'm sorry, I've been busy. I didn't have time to invade Iraq. I do me best. <laughs> I, uh, do, do, but, you, uh, do, you, do you envisage that they've got a, some sort of database on everyone, or is it just that your name's a red well, flag? Well, I thought, what, I, what you at thinking? first, I, yeah, at first, I thought, ooh, I'm important. But, uh, uh, but <laughs> no, it, 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 yeah, I wish it was just that, but it's not. It's thousands of people. And you just sort of these stories all the time. It's just people, people who've stood as ca- people who are councillors, people already in like all sorts of people. But they might have said, "Oh, I would vote green if I was in Brighton." You know, where Caroline Lucas mm. uh, is the MP, something like that. That's enough to get struck off. You know, that sort of thing because they just, they're going through people's Twitter accounts to see if they've said anything critical of. Uh, like, I mean, that is quite do you staggering. Know, do, do you know that? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, they're admitting this now. They're saying that this is what they're doing. They're being, this is their way of being robust. We are going to weed out these people who are, they're saying, oh, conservatives who are deliberately voting just to bugger the thing up. But it's not that. I mean, there's very few of those. It's, but there are people who are sort of joining okay. Labour because they, they think, well, if Jeremy Corbyn was the leader, then that would be a different thing. And so... Uh, they, they're then being told that if you voted last time, they're even going through canvas returns. They're admitting this. They're going through the way, I don't quite know how this works, but people knock on the doors, don't they, and at uh, election time, uh, how are you going to oh, vote? Oh, and they keep a record. And they keep a record. And if you... So, this is genius for a party that's lost an election to go, we do not want anyone who didn't vote for us last time. <laughs> that's... And... Like if, I've put this in the paper today. If every party did that, you'd never have to have another election. Yeah. The next, in five years' time, Dimbleby will just go, here's election night special, the results, well, they'll be the same as five years ago. And now, now the snooker. Let, <laughs> let's, take, let's just stay on that idea for a second, that specific joke, because until you said the punchline of that, of that idea, we were all, in the, we were all at the same sort of level. We were all kind of going, that seems ridiculous. But you've got the ability, as, a, as an experienced comic... To, to just describe it in such a way to just take that idea and just turn it into a very quick picture that gets a big laugh out of everyone here. 
Oh, right. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> Do you see what? Yes, I'm, I'm rather clever, aren't I? Well, well, I just, I'm really fascinated by what are the sort of, are there any kind of guiding principles that you find yourself working with when you take an idea, you go, when something annoys you and you go, there's a column in this, or something frustrates you and you think, I want to do some stand-up about this. What are the sort of principles that you use to kind of attack the stupid thing that's been said? I think, well, I, I think that there is something... There is something about just seeing the world in a funny way. And I think that there is an enormous amount written about trying to analyse that. But more and more, I'm sort of coming to the conclusion that there are people who see the world in a funny way and then there are people who don't. And the people who don't, they get very frustrated. So if, for example, you know, you might sort of, like a comic... I'm trying to think of an example. Like I've got a joke that I've been doing about, um, you know, oh, these are all the political things, overtly political things we're talking about here, aren't they? But, for example, you might say, I've got a joke about uh, the, the articles you get in newspapers saying that the benefits cheats, you know, the, the, there's all these benefit cheats. And the example I've, I'll give is one where um, I do... Uh, Articles in papers say things like, uh, well, there's a woman in a council estate in Newcastle, 135 kids she's got, every single one of them on benefits. Now, they, now they've bought a giraffe and the giraffe's on benefits. And now they've written to the council and said that the giraffe's getting a crick neck because the ceiling's too low. So they, the council have put them all up in St Paul's Cathedral. And, the, <laughs> and then the, the, now the, one of the kids has got compulsive snooker syndrome. So the council have brought them around a full-size snooker table. But the mother says she can't count up the points because she's allergic to white gloves so the mayor has to come out and be referee otherwise he'll be put in jail by Europe right. so but I think that a, a, I don't know if that you know the, the, a comic would sort of think of things like the giraffe or something I suppose but then you will get people who will say oh well that spoilt it because you, you've got a very good point there and you just spoil it because no one has a giraffe and, <laughs> and it wouldn't fit in in the flat, and they, just, you know what I mean. You must get this. Yes. There are just people who just you don't see them because it's part of our. Well, they don't come to the. They sometimes they might come. I get people who will on Twitter. You get this, and they will send me something. Go, oh, I'm very disappointed in you, Mark, because that that's not a very good point or something like that, and they anger me. More than any right winger. More. I think you pompous fuck. You know, I just hate them. You know, just, oh, I'm very disappointed. You know what I mean? That sort yeah. of thing. Because they want you to make a political point that uh, that they can agree with. They don't really see that anything is funny. And the left can be as guilty as that as, as the right, quite easily. I mean, the right certainly are. The right will claim that the uh, old political correctness, the left-wing comedians, you're not allowed to, all that sort of thing. But of course, they are just as bad. They're the one. Mm. Like there was a fuss, wasn't there, when Jimmy Carr made that joke? I think probably wasn't his joke, was it? But he made a joke about... <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. I'm not being, I'm not being mean. He, 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 was, he was open about it. It's not his joke. It was a soldier's joke when they say uh, all these uh, soldiers... 
getting yes. their limbs blown off in Afghanistan. Tragedy, mind you, we'll have a bloody good Paralympics team next time. Yes. Now, that's what, that was a joke he told. That's a, it's a really good joke. It's a joke soldiers would tell. Of course it is. And, of course, the mail went nuts. How dare he denigrate? And, of course, the soldiers all go, well, of course you tell, you, of course you tell a joke like that. So they are quite as capable. But then on the left, there is that as well. You know? Yes, OK. Uh, and they go berserk and they just can't see that something is funny. And that's why I think there's this sort of um, predicament whereby uh, there's these questions are asked. Can you make jokes about that? You must get there. Every comic gets gets this. It's really frustrating. This is a serious subject you're talking about. Isn't this really too serious a subject for comedy? And I, I think it's one of the most frustrating things you could be asked because it shows how low the status of comedy is because you would never ask a similar thing of a playwright. You wouldn't say, but this the war in Iraq is a very serious subject. Surely it's too serious to, to just sort of denigrate with the frivolities of a play or a song or a poem. But comedy, it's just assumed, even after all the years we've had of Richard Pryor for, to Louis C.K., to all the brilliant comics talking about nothing but serious subjects, and they still assume that comedy is just, you know, what's red and sits in a corner of naughty strawberry. And I just find that really, really frustrating. And also the fact that they don't sort of... The people who criticise comics in that way, they don't get that it's... It's to do with context, isn't it? So when they will, if a if a joke is just put on a bit of paper, this is what this person said. Now it's all to do with the context in which it is said. I've got yes. a disabled mate, for example, talking to him tonight. He's got no legs and one arm, and uh, every now and again I'll go around, I'll wheel him up the pub. And quite possibly, as I'm wheeling him up the pub, I'll go, you lazy fucker, every bloody time. <laughs> me, me, me with some people. I wish I had no bloody legs and got pushed about everywhere. And no one could possibly take offence at that because he knows I'm his mate and I've been for 30 years and so on. Sure. If you was to write that down, outrageous, still denigrates disabled people. Because, you know what I mean? And uh, the show I do on the radio depends on me going round being absolutely brutal about a town I've been to. It's never, ever a problem because everyone, I hope, can see, oh, he really likes this place, really. Yes. They can see it in your eyes. And they, you, that's why you can do it anyway. You can go and, you can go into a... I reckon you or I or any of the comics we know could go into a black club full of Jamaicans, take the piss out of Jamaicans and would go down fine because they see it in your eyes that you're on their side. Another comic who was racist would say exactly the same things and they'd go... No, he don't like us. And yeah, they turn there's, on there's a, it's there's in got, the eyes. You've got to account for context. You've got to account, I guess, for the audience, for the the context in which it's performed as well. Yeah, whereby yeah, yeah. the audience will, you've got to trust people to make their own judgment on it. Yeah, but yeah, I suppose yeah. what you're talking about is when someone is definitely a comic. And do you think that there is sort of like, um, you know, Stuart Lee is fond of talking about the the kind of the sacred space. Of, of clowning that almost, you know, that kind of, right. you know, sacred relationship between like, this is the comedy stage, I'm a comedian, this is this is what we've all bought into. And so, similarly an oft-used defence of someone like uh, Jimmy Carr or Frankie Boyle is that the audience have come there to see that. They, they know what it is, there's a contract between them. Is I, that, yeah, I think if you bought a ticket to see Frankie Boyle and then went, oh my God, God, I yeah, can't, yeah. I can't believe that he's and, mentioned that. And do you know what? I've, what I've noticed, particularly at this, at this festival, I've noticed two or three different comics who are known for being towards the sort of the self-proclaimed edgier 
end of things, kind of making an, a, a sort of a, an advance. What's what's the word? A preemptive strike on going. Hey, and listen, if you're gonna if you're gonna be offended about this, then you obviously haven't Googled me. Have you you seen that? I've several, seen several times. They, they, they say this is a freelance man from the audience. It, 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 it's a bad bit coming up, or it's a, it's a dangerous bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh absolutely. no. Yeah, a couple of people oh, flank you go, well, you, you know, you've obviously not that, which seems slightly to spoil the, uh, oh, the idea of the contract. Oh, aren't I on the edge? Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly, yeah. There's all people who would call themselves edgy in their press releases. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm identifying a broad trope, and let's bear in mind that most press releases are often written by PRs, not the acts themselves. I hope people who call themselves edgy are still prepared to call my show. <laughs> that disclaimed enough. I know this is well. I, I get it because my uh, you know my I, someone who was it? Someone wrote about it or something. I don't read the review, reviews, but someone did say about my show it was brave. On that, I just thought, oh, for Christ's sake! Did you come on the night that I did it in a cage with a leopard? Then. <laughs> I, <laughs> You, let's, well, we, I want to talk about your, your show that you're doing at the moment. It's a very, it's a very, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very brave. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I did. I really enjoyed it. I got a lot out of it. I think uh, we'll talk about it in a second. I just want to stay with some of the ideas of, of the techniques, of the, the ways you attack a subject in order to find the funny in it. And I wonder if you ever recognise, given the, the amount of writing, the amount of columns you do, the amount of stand-up you do, do you ever spot yourself doing the same sort of trope, doing the same Ooh, sort of thing? Yeah, there's a, well, in the sort of the radio series, because I've done six series of it now, and so it, it starts to get tricky because you go to a... Well, people don't know the show. I have to go to a town and just find out as much as I can about the town and then just be relentlessly rude about it and hope that they sort of... They through that that they go all oh, but he likes us really. I, I Which, listened to Basingstoke today and it was tremendous. Oh right, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, Basingstoke, yeah, where with all the roundabouts, yeah, and yeah. there was uh, there was a, about the lamp post, wasn't it? Wasn't there someone? There was a whole discussion yes. on a website about a about the lamp post. Yeah, no, wasn't it that the lamp posts weren't as bright as they used oh, to yeah, be? Oh yeah, the wattage. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, the yeah, wattage. They've changed. Have you? They've changed the wattage yeah. on the you know from eighty to sixty. I don't know why they've done that. You know, brilliant, brilliant. And not, you, you, not, I don't think I was brilliant. They, they, they were brilliant, and they're funny themselves. That's people are funny themselves. When you, I did one in Melton Mowbray uh, in this last series, and. Melton Mowbray, famous for pork pies, and people are obsessed with pork pies. And I went to see the bloke who's the head pork pie man at the Melton Mowbray pork <laughs> pie shop, and he sat me and Cole Cooper, the producer, down and started lecturing. We said, we've only got 40 minutes. OK, and after 40 minutes, he'd got as far as the jelly. That's <laughs> and then he was... He was he's, we said, mate, we've got to go. We'll give it another... Five. We've got to go. We've got to be somewhere. And he said, well, I... I I haven't even... I'm, I'm just starting on the pepper. On the, <laughs> I'm just starting on the pepper. You can't leave now. And this bloke was hilarious. Cause it, and then I was so sort of impressed with the audience when I just mentioned... I said, today we went to see the pork pie man. And I, I couldn't help thinking at the so, one and the same time... Christ, this bloke is extraordinarily knowledgeable about pork pies, but at the same time thinking, oh, for Christ's sake, mate, it's only a pork bloody pie. There are other things in life. And it got this huge cheer that wasn't for me, but it was just clearly everyone had come across this bloke. This whole town that at some point when they'd been at school or something had to go and think, oh, no, we've got the pork pie blokes coming in to lecture us about pork pies. And uh, what was the point I was making? Right, so... So, the, f- spotting the familiar, familiar- 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. So something like so. In a way, uh, I, I, I'm just sort of hoping that I come across things that are just naturally fun. And a, a comic does. That's what I've what a comic does, isn't it? You see the same thing as everyone else, but you think, oh, if I just tell that, people mm. go, oh yeah, that is funny. Other people might not have might not have spotted it. You know? Do you? Um, and so so that. But yeah, right in the joke, sometimes I do think. Oh no! Hang on. I think I did that with Berwick. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? I wondered about that because there was something, particularly in that Basingstoke one. There was a way in which you were slagging them off whilst praising them for well, not exactly praising them, but you were sort of saying you, you were getting them cheering about the fact that they had no imagination. Do you know what I mean? Oh, Where right. It was like you're, you're like this. You've got loads of roundabouts. You're really boring, but some of you still believe in yourselves. Or so, and I don't remember. The oh, exact yeah, jokes. no, they did because I, I met a bloke who was so in Basingstoke. There was a guy who'd written a sort of little local history of it. Basingstoke was where the longest riot in British history took place, I recall now. It went on for two years, and the cause of it was the Salvation Army. Because the the Salvation Army, when they were set up... I didn't know this until I did that programme. The Salvation Army were... were an army. That's why they were called an army. Yeah. They were. They were. They would physically go into pubs and drag people out to try and curb the swell of alcoholism in the eighteen eighties, whenever it was set up. And they chose Basingstoke, which was deliberately chosen because it was known as a place of uh, extraordinary alcoholism. And so this this pitch battle took place, and this riot went on and off for two years. At one point, I think a third of the population of the town was involved in a mass brawl. And it's even mentioned in a Gilbert and Sullivan opera. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's references to it. Basingstoke, and you look at it now with its twee little roundabouts and its little shopping mouths and think, oh, you had a bit of spark at one point, didn't you? Do you, do, did you, do you often have to do that with your different towns? I've heard a couple of different episodes. Is, you need to... I mean, you're performing to an audience of those people in that place. So you must presumably be always walking a tightrope of needing to slag them off and wanting to for comic effect yeah. and also not wanting to turn them all against you. Well, I suppose in that one, an example, there was a guy who we met there and, uh, and he was the most enthusiastic person. He was all the time, spoke like this. And the reason we met him was because he had broken the world record, I believe, for consistently rowing in a rowing machine and he'd sat in the shopping centre for uh, eight hours a day without a day off for 18 months and the amount of the mileage that had come up on the thing was equivalent to rowing round the world and he had an, what an utterly pointless <laughs> waste of 18 months and a uh, I think, I, but I introduced him, and he just got this enormous cheer. He was the most famous person in Basel because everyone <laughs> said it. Was like, oh, there's a fucking idiot who rows all day, and uh, and everybody knew him, and you couldn't help but love him. He was so enthusiastic, and I, you know, I said, for Christ's sake, you've done all of that rowing, and you haven't even got out of Basing stuff. <laughs> and uh, yeah, 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 but he was fine this- with it, and he was of course because you can't. How can you not admire? How can you not both admire? and despair at someone like that at the same time. <laughs> There's something that seems to be peculiarly British about yeah, that yeah. guy. Yeah, And the nature of your show is that you're looking, it's almost about Britishness. Yeah, I think, think it it's probably is, yeah. British towns. It strikes me, just, just thinking about it now, that there's something about you that has a similar 
sort of Britishness? Like, do you do you gig in other countries? Is, I quite, I've, I've not done much. I find no. it hard to imagine you in other countries because you seem so. For me, you seem so culturally intertwined with Britain. Oh right, uh, yeah. Well, I take it as a compliment in a way because I think it's. Um, I think we're we're brilliant at laughing at ourselves. I think we are. I think if you were, I know just a bit. I've done gigs in America. It's been all right. But I think this programme would really struggle in America because uh, I think if you went to Cincinnati, noticed a dozen peculiar things about Cincinnati and then did that, I think they'd go, well, what are you talking about? Isn't that yeah. what everyone does? <laughs> you know, the equivalent, if, you did, if there was a lamppost thing website there, they'd go, well, don't, don't you think it matters what the wattage is and the lamppost? <laughs> <laughs> Whereas here, people are more likely to go, yeah, I suppose from the outside, that does look nuts, doesn't it? I don't know yes. why. Well, maybe know. it's more that we're parochials, we're much closer to other cities, we're much more like, we, we know more about the people near us. We know people more about the towns near us, maybe? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know, whatever it is, we're sort of used to, I don't know, we're, we're more likely to slag ourselves off, aren't we? I mean, it's not as probably unfair, I'm sure you could go to Australia and do that as well, or... Okay. I don't know. I, I want to talk a little bit about your show, Who Do I Think I right. Am? Which is, I mean, you, I, I saw it very early on in the run, and every time I walk past your poster, there's more and more stars and reviews. and spl- I mean, you, you, you've clearly had a fantastic festival. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't like... Let's, let's go a bit deeper into that. I don't, I don't <laughs> I don't look like I'm showing off. Yeah, no, I no, you won't. So. You won't. This is the place to. It's fine. Or do, you know, no one thinks you're showing off. I'm asking you directly. How's it gone? Have you been? Yeah, I've, were you I've expecting really it to go it, as well? We've been surprised by it. Uh, well, it, I'm I'm blessed with an with a ridiculous story. I mean, it, it, it's just <laughs> it is, something. It yeah, it's hard to think of something more convenient. <laughs> if you want to bring a show up to Edinburgh, uh, you know, amongst other things, for people who haven't seen it. I, I tried to trace me natural mother over a period of years, not for any reasons of being particularly sort of um, torn in any way, or certainly not because I was trying to find myself or anything like that. Uh, as I say in the show, what was I going to find out? Turns out I'm a racist. <laughs> <laughs> Never knew. But because I thought I ought to sort of let her know I'm all right, I didn't uh, think I would ever come across my natural father. That never occurred to me. Uh, as far as I knew, he was just some French bloke who got her up the stick one night in 1959. And then then it turns out, having traced my natural mother, someone else spoke to her. I'd never spoke to her. Uh, She didn't want to know. But she did, clearly to drop him in it, say, let me tell you who the father is. And the the natural father turns out to be, amongst other things, the 1976 World Backgammon Champion. (laughs) 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 And a man who wasn't French at all, but an Egyptian Jew, uh, that she must have lied back in the 1960s, and uh, also is a multi-millionaire Wall Street trader, best friend of James Goldsmith and other unsavoury characters. No relation. (laughs) <laughs> yes, no really. <laughs> as far as I'm aware. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, Wait although having you... seen your show, who knows, who knows? Um, uh, yeah, so, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have tried to put together yet another show about someone tracing their family and so on, unless it really was quite ridiculous. And there are, I mean, sometimes, I know people, you know, the, the phrase, oh, the show writes itself. It never does. But, 
this one half did. <laughs> yeah. But then there is something for, for all you say, yeah, the, the, the subject material you're presented with and the fact of the real life journey to find that out. Um, like a lot, you could do a lot of things with that. A lot of different comics could take a lot of different directions on that material. And something I think that I really enjoyed about your show was how incredibly unsentimental it is. Oh, right. Well, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was, uh, yeah, any attempt at sentimentality there has been really swept away yeah i don't want it to be sentimental i mean i don't feel sentimental about it i feel i feel sentimental about i feel sort of i'm moved by the anguish of my natural mother because it was she was one of millions of victims of this absurd ideology that there was at the time that we should all live in this natural family state which was so natural that i don't think there's hardly one family that did live in that natural state mm. and though it just caused immense anguish you know for those, the most obvious one of course people who were gay having to pretend to themselves as well as to everybody else that they weren't because they thought they were wrong and wicked or evil or sinful or whatever and in my mother's case you know having a baby and then having to just deny it to herself and everybody else and so on so i do you know that i think is is awful but i don't want to say that in the show that's i think evident but it's funny i mean i think and again that comes to people who think things are funny and people who think they aren't and i think that finding out my natural dad is a multi-millionaire wall street trader Whatever else it is, it's funny. How can, it not be, how can that not be Absolutely. funny? Absolutely. Because, well, it's, it's almost like you become... We love an underdog. In comedy, we love an underdog. It's, you can't win, you have to lose. And there is something very funny about the fact that you, with your political history, your beliefs, your outspoken kind of, you know, anti-capitalist nature, would find that out. It's like the ultimate, oh, for fuck's sake. That's, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the line I enjoy doing most because it turns out he knew Tiny Rowlands and James Goldsmith. Yeah, we were his closest mates. And the the line I like doing most is that oh, for, when I found this out, I thought, oh no, for years since I was eighteen, I'd been screaming about our unfair society was that there were these people at the top of of society and they didn't deserve to be there and it wasn't right and if you wanted to pick on particular individuals to prove your case you would just jump on on tiny Rollins and james goldsmith and now it seems that i was that close to spending my life not yelling about them but calling them uncle jimmy and uncle fucking tiny <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and you say that's interesting. You say that's your favourite line in the show. What is it specifically about that that appeals to you? I don't the know the rhythm of it. Just, I don't know. I just think it's. Fu- I don't know. I think it's the rhythm of Uncle Fucking Tiny. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many how many times those three words have been said together. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's something. But you know what it's like. I mean, that's why. I mean, to people who aren't comics, this is uh, this is the the nutty thing. You know, Stuart, that there is the those conversations you have the one that goes right what's funniest in that joke a walrus or a hippopotamus a walrus walrus yeah walrus (laughs) (laughs) no hippopotamus walrus gives the wrong it's confusing hippopotamus you know those conversations and that is a joke and then you try it and then the walrus don't work and then you try it with hippopotamus big laugh why? No one knows. <laughs> I just and um, I suppose there is a rational reason. It's a bit like you know there is a rational explanation for I don't know 
the end of the universe, but we don't know what it is. And similarly, I don't know what it is, why certain jokes just work when you do it like that. Sometimes you just accidentally do it wrong and it gets a much bigger laugh. And you yeah. never find out why. One, just, of the most, one of the most frustrating things I find in the creative process is you, you write what you think is a clever joke and then on the way to it, you improvise part of the setup yeah. and then... 10 gigs down the line, you have to drop the clever joke because yeah, it yeah, turns yeah, out yeah, the yeah. setup is way <laughs> yeah. better. And you're like, oh, thanks, great. That's a great little yeah, scene. Yeah, so, yeah. But just to stay with this idea, of, are you, uh, when you write your stand up, are you sitting writing it in the same way as you do your column? Or no, are you, it's a what, what does it look bastard. like? I think, <clears throat> I think it's the hardest bloody thing. Uh, harder than a, if, if I write my radio series, then I'll go to the town. And I'll have a day in the town and then there'll be something about the town that you think, all oh, right, that's the sort of place it is. And a dozen people will have said something that you think, oh, that's quite funny. There's a thing here that they all say. There's a phrase. There's, there's something. Do you, do you have does. to go looking for it or do you just try and just have a normal no, day you out? Try, no, you have to have a normal yeah, day out. Right. A normal day out. And sometimes, this is what happens quite often. People, bless them, they misunderstand. All right, so you want to have a little look around. Uh, actually, Berwick was one where this bloke said, uh, right, now come down here, you'll love this because if you see that church there, now look at that, you'll notice that the corner there is slightly different brickwork. That's because the sort of, the, the, that wall collapsed in 1581 and of course by the time it was rebuilt, it was a different architecture. And I was going, mate, I really, this is, I'm not going to, don't worry, let's just, just wander around the town. No, 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 but it's so vitally important. You know? And uh, uh, poor bloke, he just went on and on and on like this for a day and I had to keep saying I'm really the Baroque something or other Georgian something, Gable of the whatnot I'm not going to know any of that Um, but just the general wandering about, you just pick up on things and then I make all my notes and then it sort of, I sit down and write it, you know, sit up at night and write it, usually with the sport on in the background and uh, and that's how it gets written stand up, just that's the hardest thing, don't you think? Yeah, I think it's the odds because you can't. Yeah, no, it is. Hence, no, you hence can't this just, show. I, you you know. can't sit down and just and just write it. You, some comics do maybe, but I don't think it works because it's, especially if it's relying on little bits of acting and, you just have to do it. I think, uh, and and just see what works and try a silly voice or a. But, you know, it's stupid. That's the thing. Well, rather when people go, "Oh yes," I'll be like, "Oh, because you're you're so political with what?" And I think, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" I just think, "Oh, there's a silly." I was uh, one of my favourite little bits I did a few years ago. I was just thought someone we were just talking about sort of putting, you know, you just put two different things that shouldn't go together together and I said yeah I don't know like you might just I was at a party saying yeah you might just go Rastafarian weatherman and uh and then I thought the next day I thought oh that is quite funny and I did this thing <laughs> and I thought exactly how it goes now first let me tell you about a well was it go first let me tell you about a massive rain that will cl- that will cascade down from the heaven set in by the king of kings Jar Rastafari moving slowly from the west midland across <laughs> in, in scattered shower them ras glad me moving or something like that you could get the sort of idea and um and it's just sort of i don't know what what goes what goes together, I don't know. But it, it's interesting because you, I think, you've demonstrated already tonight, you have the experience, you've got the understanding of the rhythm, you've got the understanding of which word is funniest. In, in that more, like, I, I find it hard to believe in any of your, like, the, your kind of, um, the conversational funny that you've, that you've produced tonight. 
You know, that's an odd way of saying it. You've been funny tonight and in a way that you haven't written. Do you see what I mean? And I find it hard to believe that there's been any kind of... Like, what's the equivalent in your brain when you're kind of ad-libbing? The equivalent of going, is it a hippo or is it a walrus? What's that about? Is that I just born that, of experience? It's probably not anything else. It's probably, it's probably you know, like, just like yourself or any one of the, the sort of, you know, the good comics that are up here, and there's a great many of them. And uh, when your sort of mind's working properly... You're sort of putting two different things that don't go together. Oh, here's an example. My son, who is now doing stand-up up yes. here, he's 19 and he's, he's, he's doing well. And just because he'd been around the sort of comedy world for a while already, when he was about 12, I'd say, my wife come back from somewhere or other. She said to me, my lad wasn't in the room, she said to me, God, oh, um, my friend today rang up and her car's broken down on the on the A23 somewhere and uh, she's had to call the RSC out to come and fix it. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you do as a comic? You can't help it, right? You've got two things there that don't go together and you put them together and I just automatically... At the go, oh, did they come out and go, ah, oh, yonder gasket indeed, methinks that oil <laughs> doth spurteth forth and render this carburetor obsolete, methinks, and so on and so forth, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, this is what happens in families, instead of going, oh, yes, aren't you funny? Oh, fucking, of course. Oh, you know I meant the RAC. Yeah. And I said, right, when Elliot comes in, my son Elliot, I said, I just say exactly the same thing <laughs> and see what happens. And uh, she said, Oh, yeah, I was just saying, uh, my friend broke down the A23, had to call the RSC out. And immediately he went, the RSC for a car, did they go, ah, oh, me must put the bonnet <laughs> up, <laughs> me thinks forsooth, yonder. And, so, and uh, of course, because he's just used to, he's used to sort of tying these things together. You know, other people who aren't comics are doing things more productive with their lives. <laughs> but... <laughs> But and yes. I think the quicker you do it, it, it's a process that most people know. I think of a comic, you're doing it all the time and you do it quicker. It's just the same as, you know, I play cricket and I'm shit at it. I sort of know what you're supposed to do, but I can't do it. But I can, but I can because I play a bit, I can see a, a good cricketer, it, a ball that's come down at 90 mile an hour swinging and they still managed to clout it for four. And I could sort of see how I, I could understand the process where I could never in a billion years emulate what they're doing, but you could sort of see the process of it. And I think it's not that much of a genius thing what comics mm. do. You just do it quicker because you're used to doing so it. So is, is, it, is it talent or is it predominantly talent or is it predominantly oh, skill? Is it's it, predominantly is it... madness. <laughs> It's predominantly madness and ego, isn't it? Comics are terrible people. I mean, I love being with comics, but they're terrible people. If a comic dies, right, if a comic dies, 50 other comics will be at the funeral, every one of them thinking, I hope my speech gets the biggest laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> terrible people. Ladies and gentlemen, we've probably got time for one question. Uh, why do you think, is this gentleman's question, there are no, and I, I think there are a few, uh, why do you think there are no overtly right-wing comics? Uh, I'm not... Oh, I don't know really why, but there were, of course. I mean, I mean Jim Davidson was overtly right-wing. I mean, he wasn't just someone who was... Um, who was on the right and he was a comic, he was overtly right-wing. You see some of the stuff that he was doing about how he hated immigrants and so on. There was no... But... But... It, 
See, he wasn't funny about it. He would just go into a rant. Um, uh, but they seem to be sort of... I suppose there are those people. I bet there are those people. You probably wouldn't get them up here. You'd get them in little corners, wouldn't you, of the sort of of society where, where you know, it, I don't think they're going to come up to the Edinburgh Festival with it. I don't know the answer, though, There's, really. Jeff Norcott is a comedian. He's an excellent comedian, a friend of mine, friend of the show, friend, friend of the show, and uh, he's a Tory. And that there are very few others. But does he do stuff that is overtly Tory? I, or is he just a Tory and he's a comic? Yeah, I'm sure he's, that's, that's... yeah. I, well, that might that might be the issue. I mean, he uh, no, no, that's the issue. What I mean is, I don't know if he does fulfil that criteria. I don't know that he does. Like, well, Frank is Frank Skinner is very Christian, isn't he? Yes, but I don't know. Does he do stuff about that in his act? For example, I don't know. I, I mean, he, he possibly does. Does he? I don't, I don't know because that's because it's one it's one thing to be sort of to have an ideology and be a comic, but to to do that stuff together. Yeah. You see, would... very few benefit nights for the Conservative Party <laughs> with a bunch of Tory comics doing Tory political stuff. No, well, Mac- I mean, McIntyre uh, has done stuff, hasn't he, for uh, Conservatives? Okay. But again, he wouldn't. It's just it'd just be a gig to him, wouldn't it? It would, yeah, possibly. But he wouldn't, he wouldn't go, he, he wouldn't go out and sort of do a load of stuff as sure. saying, um, you know, why we should uh, privatise Royal Mail. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard. Whatever it must joke be. It must be a hard to sell. I think. I mean, surely the reason behind it is that comedy is about sort of punching. It has to be punching upwards, don't you? That's what people say. You've got to punch up. You can't punch down. And the nature, I would say, as a broadly left wing person, is that. That's the right way round. You know, if it's, you're a left yes. person, you can speak truth to power. There's no point speaking truth to people less powerful yeah. than yourself. Yeah. Well, uh, Chaplin wrote, comedy, Charlie gloating. Chaplin wrote about this. <laughs> so, you know, Charlie Chaplin wrote about, wrote about this at some length. And he said if a woman... Uh, uh, it was describing a scene where someone's ice cream on a balcony fell off and it went down the back of someone. And the person it went down the back of in the film, it had to be... A posh person. It had to be. That was funny. If it had been a poor person, that'd be yes. an entirely different thing. It would be be a bullying thing, laughing down at someone. Ha ha ha! You know, look, we're better than you. Uh, yeah, but laughing up at someone. I, yeah, I suppose that's. I suppose that's true. But then also, because we've been in right wing times, haven't we? And so, to kick against authority, you, you have to be on the left in a way because we've been in a. a you know, maybe if we, if Jeremy Corbyn became Prime Minister, then that would probably change. You'd have to mm. take the piss out of him from the right, perhaps. I don't know. Um, this, that feels like uh, not necessarily a downhearted ending, but um, <laughs> but one, I'm certainly the vision of a Corbyn Prime Minister. I don't mean it's downhearted necessarily, but um, uh, but let's just finish up with my favourite current uh, final question. What would you... You can interpret this any way you like. What would you have written on your comedy gravestone? Oh, God, no. God, I've not got to think of that already, have I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking everyone, no matter of the, regardless of their age. But your, uh, so your final message to comedy? I'd much rather people... I'd, I'd say what I would hate would be some po-faced fucking lefty writing some twaddle about, oh, blimey, well, he exposed something or other and made us... And was, oh, that would just be absolutely awful. That would be just fucking awful. I'd much rather someone just go, oh, well, made a laugh, did, did some silly voices. 
Rather, uh, yeah, I think I, I don't know. I don't Political know. Comedian. Political comedian, yeah. Please, please, anyone in this room, if you're here after me and you see my gravestone and it says political comedian on it, you have my permission. In fact, I'd say it is your duty to get a chisel (laughs) and knock out the political. Thank you. That's a brilliant answer. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in thanking Mr Mark Steele. Thank Thank you. So that was Mark Steele. Thank you so much to Mark for coming on the show. Do catch that show if he's touring it. Uh, you can uh, you can find him online, I'm sure, and on on Twitter. He's very funny on Twitter. And uh, do get is that I ran out of steam there because I was trying to work out whether I had in fact seen him on Twitter or whether you're going to be listening to this going. Well, Stuart's doing this on autopilot because he's not on Twitter. I think he is. I think Mark Steele is on Twitter. I could, I feel like I can see it at Mr. Mark Steele. Am I making that up? Better check before you <laughs> before you tweet abuse at him or indeed myself. Um, but try and catch up with him. The, the show really was fantastic, and I, I'm sure he'll be uh, it'll be going to places beyond Edinburgh as well. So that's that. Next week, Jenna Friedman, absolutely brilliant, did a show called uh, and uh, set your. Uh, set your ears to swearing now, doing a show at Edinburgh called American Cunt. I mean, that's a statement. (laughs) So uh, that was a really uh, exciting experience, that show. Very, very funny. And she is dry. My God, she's dry as sand. Um, So that will be the last of the Edinburgh shows uh, recorded last year when that one comes out. I'm sort of planning for this Edinburgh. I think I might not do a run of live shows this year. I think I might get people round wherever I'm staying in Edinburgh and sort of take all of the admin out of the process and just have the conversations. But we'll see. Maybe I'll do one. Maybe I'll do like a special secret hit and run one. Yeah. Yeah. But more more info from here to come. Um, And then who are we doing? Seymour Mace later this week, uh, interviewing Seymour Mace. Still got Hari Kondabolu to come out. We've got uh, Abigailia. We've got Uncle Mike Wilmot and uh, plenty more besides. Who else? Tanya Edwards. Oh, my God. Had a brilliant conversation with Tanya Edwards. That's coming out shortly also. So that's it for now. You can leave now. You can you can turn this off. Um. I just for those of you who stayed, here's a thing. <laughs> should, should I be grouping you into categories? I never know whether you listen to these bits thinking, holy God, what's he talking about? Or whether you're thinking, God, not this again. Get on with the interview, as I'm sure some of you are. And that's perfectly reasonable. You know, I, I can't honestly say I listen to every second of every podcast I listen to. I I uh, am a, a active minded consumer and I I go <laughs> active minded consumer. Not much of a wordsmith today, soz. Um, but I'm, I kind of engage with it in my own way. I think that's allowed. The content's there. I'll download an episode of something. I've been listening to the Cracked.com podcast uh, a lot recently. That's got some brilliant stuff on it. Um, and also some charmingly American stuff that I just have no interest in at all. But um, I listen to it in my own way. So I think you have the you have the right, don't you, as a listener to go, OK, let's let's uh, let's have a bit of this and maybe I'll hang around. Maybe I should do sort of do you remember what Adam and Joe used to do with Black Squadron, where you were only Black Squadron if you actually listened to the, sh- to the show when it went out live. And then there was the pod squad as well. What I should do is a reverse version of that, whereby I keep spieling at the end of the episodes. And that way you can listen to it if you want, because it strikes me as I quite enjoyed sitting in my car that time a couple of weeks ago. And just looking out into the darkness and having my little moment about impending fatherhood. 
And I do quite relish the opportunity to wander around my office, as I'm now doing, uh, talking to you, just sort of talking. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't dream of saying no one. You're, you're clearly still there. I mean, although, although, to be fair, all of you might have switched off and there is no way for me to tell. Um, so I think maybe in the future, maybe I'll just take this opportunity to let people turn off who just want the show, who just want the interview, and then let you just keep listening if you uh, if you want to sort of listen to an additional five minutes of waffle at the end. Yeah, I mean, that's me. Well, <laughs> talk about the creative process, guys. Just had an idea live on the podcast. Hey, I, I just by saying guys in that tone of voice, I've reminded myself, of course, of Joel Domit and um, and lovely Steve Dunn. They do their podcast called The Comedy Score, and I did an episode with them. It's such a great idea. It's an interview about your three favourite albums of all time, and then the guest tells a story, in this case me. Uh, you tell a story, and then brilliant, talented composer Steve Dunn scores it and creates some original music, and then overlays that on the... Uh, edited into the, the the stories it goes out my i listened back to my episode i was absolutely howling with laughter in the car mostly at them and the first joel problems that someone like joel domit encounters so so have a go at that but yeah i think um i've sort of not prepared anything to talk to you about but i do quite like the idea of just letting it run on at the end and then i feel a bit less pressure to uh to keep everything all tight and snappy um, which I mean, we know how badly that works anyway. And it means I can just have um, a little bit of a ramble. I think that sh- the show sounds, I don't know, I to call it the show, I'm looking at it now on the wall. Baby, jealous, shark, the shark bit's good. But it's, it's, sharks are hack, aren't they? Can I say anything new about sharks that hasn't been said? Not, not, not that I'm desperately, and you understand me. It's not like, oh my God, I've got to get this shark stuff out. I heard a, a, a funny fact about sharks, specifically baby sharks, that I think fits into a part of my show, but it's such a morass at the moment. It's such a, a soup of like, I can tell you now, the Airbnb bit is good. It's current. It's relevant. It is a little bit at the moment, and this is something I often find. It's a little bit like, this is like part of my process. I've got to go through the bit where it's just a bunch of ideas for things to do. I think of it as like things to make and do. So there's the basic idea of going to an Airbnb being mostly, partly it's a holiday, but mostly it's an opportunity to spy on someone else's life, right? That's the observation. And then the additional material around that at the moment is fun things to do when you're in someone else's home under an Airbnb kind of, uh, you know, holiday thing. And I sort of would rather there were more observations and fewer things to make and do. Do you see what I mean? So I feel like I've got to push through that section. I've got to, I've got to, not that section exactly. I did it last night at a gig in, um, where were we? Reading Uni. Bobby Mayer was there and I gave him a lift to the station afterwards. Bobby Mayer is a funny, funny man. Um, and he said, oh, that Airbnb, you can tell it's going to get somewhere. It's going to be like a big cornerstone bit. And, and I hope I hope he's right. But um, I tried to pull it apart this morning and I just find that I just can't see the wood for the trees. So it's probably as well. I think by having this big spurt of work in, uh, in uh, November and December, hopefully I've ended up with enough stuff there that I can then take a break, have my little kind of mental three or four weeks of paternity leave and uh, and come back to it and go, oh, these are all the problems that that, that thing had. <laughs> I do that after every Edinburgh. After Edinburgh, I reappraise the show I was doing and I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, 
I should just take out that, that, that and that. And it sort of boils down. It naturally reduces. So last year, the plan was to try and do the show that I was going to do in October, the version of the show, the version of the Edinburgh show that it would turn into in October, to try and do that in August. <laughs> I think that's a good plan. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of trying to get my head around that again. The bit about locusts is good, man. It's a good locust bit coming up. That'll do. That'll do for now. This is just me toying with the idea. Should we leave this in, Nathan? Yeah, leave it in. Speak to you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.